Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 FM. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. It's 10 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And after Yom Kippur, after the high holidays where we've all made our good resolutions and we've decided that we're going to break with the past if it wasn't good. And if it was good, we're going to enforce it and, uh, you know, make sure that we shore things up and that we've got everything in place. I thought it was a really solid time to start talking once again on the personal financial planning side about retirement savings. We've We've spoken about it from time to time, and one thing I've found is that every time we speak about it, people are intrigued, questions come through, and there's nothing too simple about retirement planning. You know, it's about understanding the basics, understanding how things work. So in studio with me is Neil Sinclair, who's a business development manager for Glacier Sunam. Um, Neil, welcome to High FM. Thank you, Avi. Great. Neil, if you could just put your microphone in front of you so we can all hear you nicely. There you go. Great. Neil, let's start at the, the very beginning. I, I often say that the, the best conversations on radio often happen off air, like just before we yes. went on air. Uh, we, we touch <laughs> a few things. Let, let's maybe start at the very beginning about retirement savings. Then let's unpack the products that are available. Um, we've both got different experiences. Um, the one question that's always asked is, why do I need a retirement annuity? Can't I do it through property? Yes, you can. But, you know, let's unpack that as we go yes, by. Yes, and we, and we can touch on all those aspects, uh, the benefits of a retirement annuity versus other things. But, yeah, let's start at the beginning. Okay. So it's a well-known fact, and, and the figures have changed. Talking about fact, and then the figures change. But <laughs> the majority of South Africans, way over 90%, do not have enough cash to retire at retirement age. Um, you know, let's maybe just unpack that because there's a difference between assets that generate income that you can live on and there's a difference between assets that do not generate income. So if you're going to look at your balance sheet and say, I've got a comfortable balance sheet, therefore I can retire, that's not always necessarily the case because the property that you live in doesn't generate income. Correct. It might be worth a lot of money. Correct. But if you're living there... You can't take your patio to pick and pay and say, no, please can I swap this for a basket of goods. And what we tend to see is that they, a lot of retirees or soon-to-be retirees seem to live on the fact that, well, what I'll do is I'll take my nice expensive property I live in now, I will downgrade, uh, I'll buy something else. But what they s- sometimes forget is in the property market, firstly, if you're selling in a high property market, you're still going to buy when the property properties are high. So you might not get that replacement income that you're looking for. So it is always good to have other ideas around savings. And uh, savings can be many in many shapes and forms. You might want to save uh, for your first bond if you're, if you're a youngster or for your first car. But uh, really, we really need to start thinking about what's going to happen when we are no longer able to generate an income or maybe forced to retire. So retirement savings is something that you need to always consider and it is something that is not thought about when it comes to the younger generation. They seem to think that they're invincible and they will think about it in 10 years' time when it might feature on the horizon. Let's just take a step back um, about the property you're saying that I've got a house in Houghton that's worth um, 10 million rand and I'm going to downscale and take the cash. I'm going to move down to the coast. The moment I hear that, I get a knot in my stomach. Because my first question is, have you priced a flat in the strand that overlooks the sea? Do you know what that flat's going to cost you? 
your logic is that I'll sell for 10 million. What you're not factoring in is that you actually haven't maintained the house in the last five years. Correct. And everything antiquated, no one's going to buy it at 10 million. You'll be lucky if you can get six. Correct. You're going to buy your flat for three. You're going to spend half a million rand relocating and all that. And you're going to end up with sardines. Correct. Maybe in a bucket in the sea. We're not even in a tin. And that's the factor that's not often taken into consideration. It's interesting. I had a discussion with a financial advisor who's recently moved down to George. And, well, recently within the last three or four years. And he says he has noticed plenty of clients that used to walk into the Woolies to buy their, uh, their groceries, but have now started to become more thrifty. Because they've realized that they cannot continue with this lifestyle. They have to start watching the pennies that they spend and are looking for more inexpensive, more inexpensive alternatives to, to eat. So Woolies is no longer an option. They are looking elsewhere. So before we get back onto the where I disturb you for about you know, young people feeling they're invincible, in my opinion, there are two things that have really scuttled the whole financial planning retirement scene. The one is inflation. Correct. Because CPI is not inflation. CPI is a bundle of goods for the general populace of the country. And if you take medical inflation, food inflation into account, where you and I would like to shop, I'm not quite sure that the 5.5 or 6% is really And I would, I would agree with that. I think lifestyle inflation is something that people need to consider. And um, inflation is something that is often forgotten about when it comes to investments, quite simply because I call it the silent killer. Inflation, and I'll give you a great example. Um, when my mom retired, she took the wrong product. And 3,500 rand 15 years ago was a lot of money to my mom. 3,500 rand today, can you live on 3,500 rand? I'm not sure rand? you can pay a Correct. So people often neglect the fact that cost of living goes up over time. And that is the factor, or inflation is a factor that can really erode uh, retirement savings. So inflation is key to always think about. And the toxic mix is if you take inflation together with longevity, you know, all of a sudden when, mm. when I was a young man, a young, young person, somebody who had passed 60s or in 70s, they had really beaten the devil. They had got a good innings. Today, people of 70s are, are young people. They're Correct. traveling. They're Correct. healthy. Agreed. You know, a stent is the most phenomenal thing. 20 years ago, if you had that condition that you now are stenting, you would be dead. Today, it's just giving you 20 years of life again. And if the stent moves or if it corrodes, well, then you just replace it. I don't mean to be fickle about it, but longevity is a factor. That you take longevity together with inflation, you've really, really got something dangerous. Hmm. In my mind, the only bulletproof solution for that is to start saving from day one. Start saving early. And when, when is early? Is it on your first salary? Or can we give them till their second salary? <laughs> I think the earliest the earliest you can start, the better off you will be. And, I mean, so some of the studies that have run on that uh, show that. Uh, I mean, we referred to the article that we wrote that drew, drew your attention to us. We, got, we did two different scenarios where both individuals started saving a 1,000 rand. But the one person started saving that 1,000 rand a hell of a lot earlier. And their retirement capital, because they had time on their side really exponentially grew compared to the other individual. And, and the, the power of that really lies in the power of con compound interest. Um, Albert Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. Warren Buffett, 
who we know is probably one of the shrewdest investors that uh, that we've ever had the pleasure of experiencing and listening to, and with a sense of humour, said, "Well." The reason he's so so successful was that he lived in the States, uh, he got slightly lucky with a slightly good intellect, and the power of compound interest worked for him. So I think if it's something that we really need to, if you want to start saving early, understand what the power of compound interest can do for you. But on the flip side of that, be careful of debt, because debt is also compound interest, and if you're in debt and it works against you, you can find yourself in a deep hole, unable to save. And very simply, what that means is, you know, today with with the FICA and the, and the treating your clients fairly and all that, if you look at your statements, it'll actually tell you on the repayment of your car, on the repayment of your house, what the total repayment is. And I don't know if you've ever seen people's faces where they look at the figure, they try to work out whether the comma's in the wrong place, and then they take a few seconds for this to sink in, and then some expletive comes out that we can't say on the radio, and they say... I'm being fleeced. Correct. I said, yes, you are, but there is a way around it. You know, your bond is 7,500. Can you afford another 750 rand a month? That'll cut your bond down by nine years. Correct. It's It's a great idea. It's not a magic answer because ultimately you are paying slightly more Mm. from a cash flow point of view, but you need to work out the interest Mm. over the period. Um, We need to run to the shops. It's sure that time went very quickly. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Let's talk about the traditional retirement vehicles that we have in South Africa, the advantages, the disadvantages, who they suit, who they don't suit. But we'll be back in a moment. Avi on money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 20 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And in studio is Neil Sinclair, who's a business development manager for Glacier Sundam. Neil, what we were discussing before the break um, is the tools that are in our arsenal as financial planners and as investors for retirement planning. Let's start at, on the corporate side because um, I just want to clear up the mystery between pension, provident, retirement annuity. Um, let me just start off by saying technically they're all the same thing. A client sort of gets a, a tax break. Sometimes the company does, sometimes the company doesn't. But you're talking about an individual. It's a forced saving. There's no tax on the growth of that investment. And um, you get a tax break at the end of the year for what you've put uh, in. Yeah, I think I think the... F- uh, I think it's, it's very important to highlight the fact that your retirement annuity, your pension, or your provident fund are probably the most efficient vehicles to save in, simply for the following reasons around taxation. So there is no capital gains tax paid. There's no tax on interest. Well, let, let's take one at a time. No capital gains paid. I often hear that and I say, hold on. Capital gains is only triggered at the realization of an asset. You know, if I go and buy a can of Coke downstairs in Moishi's Butchery and I walk out of the guy says, I'll give you double, I'm thirsty, give it to me. I don't pay CGT on, on that transaction. Um, if I, uh, only time I, if I've got unit trusts and I cash them out and I've put in 30,000 and they're worth 100,000, I'll pay capital gains with a exemption on, on the balance of what I made. How does it work in retirement planning? 
So you could choose to, essentially, if you even decided to switch funds and you were in another investment, that would then trigger a capital gain, which depending on the type of product you're in, you'd either be responsible for it in your personal capacity or if it was an endowment, the life assurance company would be responsible for it. But the benefit here is within a retirement annuity, your pension fund, provident fund, you can change the underlying asset and not have to pay that gain to the taxman, which essentially means that growth remains yours. You, money hasn't had to come out to pay the tax man. So let's, let's break it down. Let's use an example. I've got a retirement annuity and I've got two funds. I've got Coronation Balance Plus and I've got a Sunnam Balanced Fund. And I sit down with you and I say to you, look, I would like to put a third fund in. I'd like Alan Gray. I've heard about them. They're great guys. Well, Seen that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I'd like to diversify. Put, so what needs to happen is we need to sell units from the other two funds Correct. in order to buy this third unit. Correct. If we've done well, which in the last two months, thank God, we have. We weren't talking about the previous 18 <laughs> months because there was a bit of a bloodbath. Um, all of a sudden, I've now made a gain. If those would be normal unit trusts with not, with not in a retirement annuity wrapper, I would have paid capital gains on the gain. Correct. In retirement new annuity, I'm not doing that. So it allows me to be more flexible, more involved. It doesn't mean that we should choose to switch funds all Correct. the time because Correct. then you're just going to create a, a hodgepodge of it. But it allows you to invest with the safety of knowing that you're going to be penalized for making a decision. Correct. Okay. Right. Now that I've interrupted you, you can continue. And another thing which is a major, I suppose, attractive part of that are the dividends that you receive are exempt of tax. Whereas if you were in another investment, you would have had to pay a dividends tax on that investment. So you can see, you can be, we use, let's use Alan Gray for example. If someone came to me and said to me, Neil, I want to invest in Alan Gray balanced. What are my returns going to be like? I'm going to say to them, well, that depends on the product that you go in because in some products, you're going to have to pay tax on, on the returns, on the interest, on the dividends. Some products are exempt. And some products will actually even say to you, hang on a minute, for every 100 rand you contribute to that, we will put in, or, or the taxman technically will put in 27% of that as well. So that's one of the reasons why I say that your preserv- not your preservation funds, but your provident pension RA, you get a tax deduction on that. On the contributions. On the contributions, which yes. is very important. Because your preservation use also it has got the same rules. Yes, but no, no, no deductions on the, on the contribution. So from a complete efficiency perspective, from a growth and a contribution, really your retirement products are the way to go if you can stomach the longer term. It means that you need to be invested until age 55. And this is, I suppose, one of the things that scares a lot of people is they don't have access to that money until age 55 or until when they change jobs, they think, well, maybe I need to take the cash out now as opposed to preserving it because then I at least have accessibility to that. But they also need to understand by doing that, there's potential penalties you'll pay from a, from a tax perspective as well. And realistically, <clears throat> every time you access your retirement funds, you're wiping out the whole compounding of Correct. it that happened. Um, Neil, let's just touch on something I see it's just coming through on the SMS line, and it's a long SMS. I'll just try to summarize it. We've just come out of a period of between 18 and 24 months of really mooted growth. 
We've gone sideways. Correct. It's just been very, very difficult. Clowns look on the year-on-year return and they see 2% and they say to you, well, I could have been better in the bank and the answer, yes, you most probably would have been. We could have put you in money market and funds anyway, but then realize you would have paid quite a lot of tax, etc., etc. Those two years, are they dead times? Or if you're contributing on an ongoing basis, is it maybe an advantage? So th- there are a couple of things. It's interesting that this SMS has come through because I've got some interesting stats which I'll, I'll go through now. But uh, if you are contributing on a monthly basis to a retirement annuity, and let's say markets are flat or even markets are negative, what are you really doing when you are contributing? You're buying units. And the more units you can buy and the longer you can give those units to grow, the better for you. The more units you have, the better for you because you can grow the value. Just something on flat markets. I mean, we, we did some interesting research and this is a very interesting stat because people at the moment are trying to time markets. Well, they're saying I'm getting out because they, I'd rather be in the bank at my 7.5% or my 8%. There's no, mar- uh, there's no growth in the JSE. Um, it's, it's great to make that decision on when to get out, but you've also got to make the decision of when to get in. So here's a really good example of that in that we've had a look at if you took 100,000 Rand 20 years ago and you put it on the JSE and you stayed invested. So you weren't trying to time anything. You, you were just going to stay invested. Your capital would have grown to 1.4 million rand. If, however, you missed the top five days in that 20-year period, your capital would diminish to a million rand. So can you see it is incredibly difficult to try and time the market? Five days in 20 years and there is a major loss of capital. If we take that back to 10 days in those 20 years, your capital is less than 800,000 rand. So it's also very important when, it, when you're saving for the long term, try to remember your strategy because the more time you've got to save to compound that interest also reduces the risk going forward because the longer you're in the market, it reduces the risk. You might experience a little bit of volatility. However... <coughs> It'll all make up for it in the end because you're going through a market cycle and we have dips and troughs and, and growth spurts. Who knew that three months ago the, the JC would run as hard as it has? And what has happened? A lot of people have actually pulled out and have been sitting in cash, and yet we've done 11%, 12% uh, over the, that particular period. So, and, and that is so true. Just uh, the example that, that I often refer to where markets are flat is – uh, I often say to somebody, you, you live in a beautiful street, but there's an incident next door that is very, very unpleasant and scares all the neighbors. And everybody just wants to get out. This, all of a sudden, this street gets a terrible, terrible name. And uh, the neighbors on the other side, their house is worth 2 million rand. But for 1.6, they're happy just to take the money and disappear. Do you buy it? Of course you buy it. It was one incident that happened. That was unfortunate. People's memories are very short. In a short period of time, they'll forget about it. The intrinsic value of the house is two. You're buying it mm. for 1.6. In fact, if anybody's thinking 1.6, buy it. Beg, borrow, and steal the money. Because you've got an asset. You're making a 400,000 rand capital gain just on holding the asset because that's its intrinsic value. The same thing about buying units in a depressed market is that the moment the tide rises, your ship has to do nothing, and it goes up with the tide. Correct. And you've got all those units because you got them at a cheaper price. Absolutely. What's about the person that says to you, well, I could do better than a retirement annuity? 
Um, or, the, or just to go back, the best line, one that I really love and I sort of chuckle inside is, retirement annuities are rubbish. My uncle told me so. And I almost feel like saying to them, that's like saying Toyota is rubbish. Because what type, was it a Bucky? Was it a sedan? Was it a bus? What, what did Agreed. you buy? You know, if a, if a Toyota dealer, dealer principal comes to me and says to me, I've got a single care Bucky going at a 30% discount, unbelievable loan, buy it. If he gives it to me at 50%, I still don't want it. I don't need it. It has no value to me. I have no use for it. It's a waste of money. Whereas if they came to me with another car that I could drive and use, all of a sudden it's a very, very attractive deal because I have value in it. When people say that a time continuities are rubbish, well, where were the funds? Were you sitting in money market? Were you sitting in pure equities in the old days? Mm. Where, where were you? And if you've chosen the wrong funds, then you're blaming the category and not mm. the engine. Evie, I agree with you there. I think um, often people relate their performance into the retirement annuity to the retirement annuity itself. But the retirement annuity is merely the vehicle or, as I like to say, the tax structure that your money is invested in. What you put into that structure is between you and your financial advisor. So between you and your financial advisor have chosen funds that have underperformed or have not given you what you expected from a return, really the onus lies on you and your advisor to have a look at what you chose, why did things go wrong, have a look at the fund mandates, and maybe change because the retirement annuity does allow you to do that. You can move from one fund to another. If I look at a business like ours, uh, we've got one retirement annuity, but we've probably got more than 2,000 different types of underlying investment choices that you can pick. Trying to pick the winner, yes, I agree, is always tough. That's why you rely on a financial advisor to help you with that. So you really have to look at the underlyings within that investment. What's about looking at other products other than retirement plans, pension, providence, preservations, or retirement annuities? Why don't I just buy unit trusts? Because you pay tax on it. And depending on your tax rate, that could hamper the growth of your particular investment. I would suggest your next best or your next stop after retirement annuity from an efficiency perspective is a tax-free savings account. Sure, it's only 33,000 Rand a year, but if you start early and that 33,000 Rand starts to build up, once again, the power of compound interest, uh, there, slightly different to your, your retirement annuity, interest is also tax-free, capital gains are tax-free, dividends are also exempt of tax. The slight difference between the tax-free savings account and the retirement annuity is you don't get the tax deduction, but you also get access to the tax-free savings account if you need it. So one of my, and I shouldn't say it, but one of my pet hates is the banks marketing tax-free savings accounts because they're saying to you, take an interest-bearing investment and put it into a tax-free savings account when you can already do quite a lot of that at the bank because you get an exemption on your tax and your interest. Why not go and buy an investment or diversify what you invested in that will give you better returns in that tax-free savings account? Are you saying that the underlying asset allocation is cash? Yes. So, so, the, so if, we have a look at the, um, if we have a look at the market of who is selling the most tax-free savings accounts, it's the banks. They've got big balance sheets to, to power their advertising. You hear them on the radios. They're saying, giving you great interest rates, come put it in a, in a tax-free savings account. Whilst I think that we still need, a, there's a long way we need to go to say, well, there are other assets that you can buy that are not 
interest or just cash assets that you can put into a tax-free savings account that over time will give you a better return than just sitting in cash. So just to drill down a little bit on mm-hmm. that, the tax-free savings is a brilliant savings vehicle. If you've got time and you're young, why take something that's a very low risk and very low volatility? Because that's going to give you a very sorry, stodged growth over the time. Whereas if you take a slightly more aggressive fund, yes, it might be scary at times when the market moves up and down. But history has shown us that the higher the equity proportion, the greater the growth will be over time. And if you've got 10 years in a, retire, in a, in a tax-free, as you said earlier, all the risk is basically mitigated. Correct. So you, you need to be able to give that investment to time, the time period to go through all market cycles because there will be depressed cycles, but there will also be uh, opportunities for growth in that cycle. So the, the longer that you give it really reduces the risk of your investment over time. I mean, I don't think the JSE has ever experienced a negative five-year rolling number, which is astounding when people start to think back and come emo- become emotional, especially, especially around things like what happened in 2008. There, the JSE, everyone remembers, lost 43% in a few months. Right. However, they're quick to forget that that recovery took two years and then some. So if you stayed invested over that period, you would have doubled your money. Where a lot of guys, what did they decide to do? They actually bought out of the market and sat in cash and just waited for all this volatility to leave. Decided to buy back into the market, but the market was already at the top. So they lost money on the way down. They didn't partake in the growth on the way up. They got in at the wrong time. So I, I like to say to uh, people when they're thinking about money and thinking about investing is to try to take the emotion out of the investments. Try have a look. Try to stick to the plan. Remember what you're trying to achieve and stay invested. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. I'm, I'm just thinking now as you're talking about the period that we've just come out of. That most probably was one of the most challenging periods for investors. 2008, it was the whole world. So logic dictated that eventually, I mean, we, we, we're not going to go to a dust bowl, you know, you know, like we did in 1927. Things have to come right. Whereas what happened over the last period is that we had an American election, which created a lot of uncertainty. And volatility. And volatility. And the right man for investing won the election, thank God, because that's one area that he's really, really sort of brought a lot of stability to. At the same time, it was really compounded and magnified by the instability we had here in South Africa. We had a technical recession. We had a government that was incredibly, I don't want to use the word unstable, but definitely didn't inspire confidence. We had corruption that was running to a point where if you and I had to sit down after a couple of beers and try to write the worst corruption scenario, we would have been quite uh, mild compared to what's actually coming out. Enron has nothing on us. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I just heard on the way here what's happening and how many people are being fired at ESCOM. Um, but be, if you put all that together and investors looking at this and saying, hold on, I've put in a million rand. It's gone down to 890,000 rand. I, I've lost serious money here. I can't, how long? And your answer would always be, I don't know. If I knew, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. And that, I think, was a very, very difficult period. People would rather sit comfortably knowing that they were getting some return rather than trying to sit it out. So the picture I try to paint to people is to say to them, if you sell out now, 
you are actually going to realize that loss. It now you've lost two thousand rand, uh, two hundred thousand rand in that example you've used, but it's a loss on paper. If you decide and you hand in that document that says sell, you have realized that loss. Why not wait it out? Because cycles turn, markets turn. There is movement on the political sphere, which we all believe is, is shaping our economy at the moment. We have a, an elective conference coming up in December. Um, with or without chair throwing? <laughs> yes, with, with or without chair throwing. I heard some very interesting jokes about that, but uh, the chairperson must be upstanding and all the rest. But yeah. Um, so th- there is, there's a lot of political uncertainty, but Thankfully, I think a lot of that uncertainty, the answers to those questions are in the very near future. By December, we will have some clear clarity as to where the economy is going to go. And I think you can make – and investors, especially outside investors, can make a lot more clearer decisions because right now the uncertainty is they just don't know. They have a look from the outside looking in, and they don't know if South Africa is a viable investment destination uh, in emerging markets at the moment. RV on money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 18 minutes to 1. Thank you so much for joining us. In studio with me is Neil Sinclair, who's a BDM, a business development manager for Glacier. Neil, who is Glacier? Is it like a chili company? No, that was a glad joke, sorry. <laughs> Glacier is uh, the single premium investment arm of the Sunlum Group. So really it's Glacier by Sunlum. So the big brother there is Sunlum, which we know has been around for a very long time. Uh, everyone should know the brand Sunlum. And we are primarily responsible for all the single premium investments uh, and rolling that out to market. Single premium means that I come to you with 100,000, 100 million, not 1,000 rand a month. Correct. Okay. Correct. We will do recurring premiums as well, but our primary responsibility is to build single premium products that uh, the trusted financial intermediary can take to market. How would you access us? Well, really, we're an intermediated business. We do not do direct business, so you need to go to your tri- your trusted financial advisor, and we have all spectrum of products available from your retirement annuity to your living annuity for post-retirement, and in fact, we've got some very interesting post-retirement products that some of the other guys don't offer. So if like? you're, we have a product called uh, Investment Linked to Lifetime Income Product. It's called the ILLI for short. We, uh, we love our strange acronyms. Is that a coffee? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a coffee as well, but we, we call it an ILLI. And it, it's actually a unique concept. It's, uh, so if we think about the depressed market, what's happened within the living annuity space of late? So the returns have been muted. Returns yeah. are muted. Clients are taking income. And they're watching their capital deplete. Correct. Now, if you think about the basic fundamentals of a living annuity, it's really made up of units. And those units are a finite number of units. If you start to live longer than you anticipate, you're going to sell off those units every single month for income. You never get any units back. This product is slightly different where we say to you, okay, we will give you a guarantee. That guarantee is not the traditional type of guarantee that you're used to in the past where we say, okay, we'll give you 5,000 rand a month and we'll increase it by CPI. We say we will give you income units every year you're alive. Your job with a financial advisor is to grow the unit price of those income units. Silly example. We promise the client 100,000 units. His income in that year is 100,000 rand. His unit price is one rand. 
he goes and selects a basket of unit trusts. That unit trust basket does 10%. His unit price has gone from 1 rand to 1 rand 10. We promise him his unit's back of 100,000 units. His income is now 110,000 rand. So the idea behind the product is as long as you're alive, we give you those units back. So if there's longevity in your family, it's probably a product to consider versus a living annuity. A living annuity will always work for you if you have sufficient capital or you have a shorter span or a shorter life period to and live. And your drawdown percentage is low. And your drawdown percentage is low. If you think about it, the return of the investment markets in a living annuity have to make up for three factors. They've got to make up for inflation. They've got to make up for the income that you've taken, and they've got to make up for cost. If you used 6% income, which has seemed to be a slightly aggressive draw, and inflation is 6%, you're at 12. Add cost to that, you're at 14. So your living annuity to exist in perpetuity has got to match 14% per annum. Our other product works slightly differently. You've only got to make up for inflation and cost because we give you the income back. So therefore, it's more realistic that the returns are going to be around. Are the costs slightly higher? No, they're not slightly higher. Um, They're based on mortality rates. So we do look at your age and your sex and those kinds of things to to decide on. Is this a mixture hybrid between a living annuity and a fixed annuity? It, it is. It, I would consider it to be a hybrid, yes. Because there is a bespoke company whose name I forget now. I interviewed them a while ago, and they had a similar sort of product where they underwrote, actually underwrote you, underwrote the individual, and the the worse your lifestyle, the worse your oh, the, the, the shorter you're going the shorter to live. you're going to live, the better income they would give you. Based on the underwriting decision. Yes. Um, it was like a bit of a macabre scenario. It was a bit reversed to what the market's used to. Yes. We, I, would, I would question that because I think uh, the business model is only going to attract unhealthy lives. Right. So what does the healthy individual do? And they come to you with this illy. Illy, correct. So effectively, if you've got sufficient capital and you've chosen the right funds, you should not run out of capital over your, over your life. Well, space. you shouldn't run out of income. Remember, right. it's a traditional, it, technically it's a tradi- traditional annuity in nature, right. so uh, you're, really giving the, you're really giving that capital into the pool to help Correct. fund uh, everybody else's income. But you should be able to, and this is where this product is slightly different to the traditional annuity. Your income increases over time. You can manage via the underlying choice of your unit trust investment versus being told you're only getting 5%, you're Mm -hmm. only getting 6 or you're only getting inflation. So if you are with a really good financial advisor and traditionally he has given his clients 10% return in all investment cycles over time, he can apply that same logic and give you a 10% return on your income from one year to the next. It sounds intriguing. Um, saying that, I think I need to unpack it a little bit. How do people get hold of? Oh, so, so you said that you are intermediated. So the long and the short is, someone needs to go to a financial planner. Correct. Um, and I'd just like to say that you know, you've, if you've heard about this product and you want to know about it, and your particular financial planner says to you that doesn't deal with it, um, then please be in touch with me, and I'll you know put you in touch with people who do deal with the Sundown product. Um, and one thing I've, I've, I've always say, and I hope I will always say, is that financial planners, especially in this market, are often tied to one financial services group. And the reason predominantly is a compliance issue. 
the the, clo- the the closer you work with one company, the more secure your compliance is, the lower the risk is for the financial advisor, etc., etc. But then that often does preclude the individual from giving you broad-based advice on other product. And they often won't even know that the product exists because that's not their responsibility. The responsibility is to know their product and sell it to its best possible potential. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look outside. I, I don't see it as um, disingenuous and I don't see it as dishonest. One needs to know what's out there. You know, if you've been loyal to one particular brand of car, it doesn't mean you never drive past another showroom and don't go in. Go in, see what's in the market, see what things are cost. Mm. Uh, and then you might just say, well, hold on, at my next upgrade, I'd rather go there because it's giving me a certain bundle of services that I'm not getting there. It doesn't make the previous one bad. It just mis- makes this one that much better. So just have a look. Have a look. And uh, I think I suppose I also like to say to clients is that uh, the retirement solution is, not, is never one product. You need to probably look at a combination of different products to give you the, the correct desired results going forward. Uh, gone are the days where you can buy one product and that will suit all your needs. Now you really need a financial advisor that is aware of what's happening in the market, aware of the products that are available in the market, and that can tailor make a solution for you. That solution might be made up of different products provided by different product providers for whatever reason, but that's why you seek the advice of that financial advisor. Just before we let you go, going forward, we, we're coming up to December, we're coming up to the end of the year. People traditionally sort of just can't wait to get rid of everything, shut everything down, just walk away. But we're still in the thick of it at the moment. People who are floundering and just haven't got their retirement savings up to date, haven't got things sorted out, what would your advice be to them before they get to the beach and becomes another year of not doing it? My advice would be, find if you don't have a financial advisor or planner, find one. If you do have one, book an appointment. There are a number of things that you need to get sorted out before your December holidays. Uh, it's slightly off topic, but I always think to update your will to make sure that any, any of those kinds of things are taken care of uh, because you never know what could happen. If you've exhausted your emergency fund, you need to find a way to replenish that. Um, if you're going to earn a bonus... At you mean the a legal of, way to replenish it. Yes, a legal way to replenish that. If you're going to earn a bonus, try and find a positive way to spend that bonus and not just, uh, it's been a rough year, I need to relax and spend it and blow it on a holiday. Try and allocate it small portion of that savings or try and get rid of that debt load that you might be feeling. Uh, those are some of the practical things I think that they can do. But if you definitely if you definitely haven't seen your financial advisor this year, I would say that's the first step because he's going to say to you, are you, uh, are you sure your will's up to date and what do we need to look at going into the new year? Um, you know, Neil, just two things I could add to that and we will do quite a few shows on this towards the end of the year. The two things is, first of all, look at your short-term cover and please just make an appointment. A phone call is not good enough. Sit down. Just go through the contract once. It's, it's, it's staggering how people have never gone through it. You know, if you are um, a, a person who's part of the Jewish community and you observe the Sabbath, you know, do you have a clause about not having an alarm on when you're not in the house? You know, that could be a repudiation Correct. of the claim. 
you know, do you have a clause in your short-term insurance that the house will be unoccupied for a particular period of time? You might think, no, there's always there's always a the domestic or one of my kids, and you've put zero. Meantime, you're going away for three weeks in December. The insurance companies are not looking not to pay, but don't give them a reason to be difficult. You know, go and check all those. The other thing is, please don't tell me that you inherited your lounge suite and your dining room suite. Yes, it's a Hartman and Kaplan, it's a this and that, but it's old. Because when it disappears, you need to replace it. And unless you want to go to a corner store in Louis Bertha and buy some Hong Kong sort of stuff, you're going to need serious money to go and do that if something happens. Correct. So just make sure the values are are, are intact. And Neil, just a, another scary thing. I was in um, Plet over the July holidays. I know it's a bit strange, but we go there in July. It's quite <laughs> nice. It's quiet. We know it's not going to be hot. There's always one day where you could sort of tease yourself with the waves as they come in. But to look at the destruction of these magnificent homes that are just piles of rubble. Um, we were discussing it the other day, and what I was told was that the insurers themselves are suing the brokers. The reason being is that these people were insured for the incorrect amounts for many, many years. So in other words, you bought the house for six million rand, you renovated, you fixed, you updated, market things happened, things worth 15, and it's insured for six. Yeah. So what I want to mention to everybody is please speak to your financial planner, speak to your short-term insurer with with a direct marketer, speak to a builder and find out what the building cost per square meter is. Find out how many square meters your house is. Add in half a million rand for demolition and clearing. And that's what you insure your house for. 300 square meters times, let's say, 8,500 rand a square meter. Not the 1.2 million rand or the 2 million rand that you'll take for your house if you are moving to Israel tomorrow. Because that's the replacement value that you need to build the house for. Mm. The market value is undervalued. And I know I'm a little bit uh, excited about it, but I just think of the grief that you realize that you don't have enough money to rebuild your house because you paid a premium. Oh, sorry, to, to add insult to injury, not only will you only get paid half of the value, you'll be penalized because you uninsured the value. Correct. So you're sitting here nodding. So I sort of I'll hit the nail on the head. These as, things as, need as, to. It's radio. You need to talk. Yeah. The, the, these things. These these things need to be done. I mean, uh, the the shocker for me often is the will. Um, that the will's not up to date. There is a tragedy, and then there is a fight amongst the beneficiaries of the will, or someone was left out, or someone has come into the world, into that particular person's will, and has not been added to the will. Uh, definitely needs to be updated. You need to make sure that all your insurances are in place. You will need to check your alarm that it works as well. That's a, also a very good reason for repudiation of a claim. When lost, did you have it serviced? That kind of thing. And then start to see what you can do with any sort of disposable income that you do have, whether it's by a bonus or a 13th check or anything like that, and make positive plans for that money. Don't just blow it on checkers, uh, chips and cold drinks and uh, a nice holiday because it's been a tough year and we all need to relax. Try and set aside a little bit of that money for, um, for savings as well. Neil, it's been wonderful. Thank you for coming in. We hope we will have you more often, and as in if you feel that there's something that Glacier would like the, the community to know about, please let me know. 
to everybody else. Thank you for listening. Just to wish you a Chag Samach. The Zman uh, Simchatanu, the time of our rejoicing is coming up for Sukkot. Please enjoy, relax, take it easy, and we'll see you next week.